my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Uh, hopefully, you guys had a terrific weekend. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my brother, Ian Howarth. Always a great time talking to Ian. And we uh, we had a lot to talk about <laughs> after my, uh, my uh, week on vacation. Uh, we talked about uh, Obama being gay, allegedly. Uh, we talked about the persecution of the January 6th, quote-unquote, insurrectionists. Uh, we talked about the corporate press dialing up the uh, war propaganda to uh, radical levels once again. Uh, and a bunch more. I think you guys will enjoy it. Before we get to Ian, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at OkimixPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe if you're an Apple user. Please leave us a five-star rating and a good review. We really appreciate that. If you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Ian Howarth. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Ian Howarth. Ian, how you been, man? Good morning, Brady. I'm doing well. Uh, this week's news has been strange so looking forward to breaking it down with you how are you doing i'm doing great i just got back uh, i drove a thousand miles with a baby in the car uh so that to, was uh, to clarify your baby my baby <laughs> i just took a took a random baby and drove a thousand miles <laughs> the amber alert was uh i thought i noticed something yeah 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 everybody got that update on their phone yeah that was your boy <laughs> now it's, you know she turned six months uh tomorrow actually and i don't know if you knew this but six month old babies don't really appreciate super long car rides you know it's just they, they just don't they're not having a good time it's not their thing who knew who knew <laughs> you're learning every day so it is a weird week uh, i was totally you know the last four, 24 hours or so i've had to catch up on everything and you know um the, the head you know what really stood out is that obama likes dudes story at eight <laughs> like, that's not I was not planning on coming back from the cabin to that, but uh, apparently Tucker Carlson interviewed a guy who said he banged Obama in 1999. Um, the interview comes out today. Um, look, I have no clue if that's true or not, <laughs> but nothing about any politician surprises me. I mean, dude, we found out that half of the politicians and actors are pedophiles, and everybody was like, yeah, that checks out. <laughs> like, it was like a blip on the radar, you know? So, you know, Obama, gay, all right. I mean, that, that doesn't surprise me too much. I mean, I also just do not care. Like, you know, it's, no. it's funny. It's funny to joke about the fact that, you know, he smoked crack with some random dude. But I just I do not care. Like, he's not president anymore. Even if he was president, I don't think that says anything about his character. Uh, I, I think it's just clickbait bullshit. And it's, you know, people are talking about Tucker Carlson is the greatest journalist on planet. It's like, well, <laughs> you go from one week to talking to people yeah. like Donald Trump, Elon Musk, um, you know, really interesting, high-profile people. And who's coming up this week? Some guy who said he's, he's openly admitted that he smoked crack, but we're also <laughs> going to believe him that he had sex with Obama. It's like, crack addicts are not exactly the most reliable witnesses. It's just ridiculous. I'm just over already. I, I do not understand why people subject themselves to this kind of low IQ nonsense. Oh, I know. I know. I mean, I, look, I'm not going to watch the interview. Who do you think I am? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to go that far. But, like... Look, I've talked about it a lot. We, we've talked about it a lot, you and I, on the show, too. Like, I'm not the biggest Tucker fan, but, like, I don't know. 
it's funny. It's funny. Like I, it's funny to see him just swinging for the fences. Like and you know, the Trump interview was was stupid. It was just like a softball interview. Like that was really disappointing. Same with Elon. It's like I, you know, these powerful people. I'd I'd like to see Tucker actually hold their feet to the fire a little bit, and he's not, um, for obvious reasons, uh, money. <laughs> but yeah. like, it's funny to see Tucker swinging for the fences with this gay stuff. Like even if the gay crackhead is lying, which he probably is, like. The press and just see, like the reaction from the Democrats is really funny because the press just makes stuff up about Republicans all the time, mm-hmm. and it's funny to see Democrats get hacked down a couple pegs, you know, even if it t- turns out to be total BS. I mean, it's like I, I can't get mad at Tucker because like corporate media said oh, said Trump was a Russian spy who pissed on hookers for five years. Like none of that was true. They just completely made it up. So it's like I don't know. It, it's kind of funny to see the shoe on the other foot. Oh, absolutely. It's it's. It's the kind of thing that the content isn't the issue. It's always the response. And I think that's that's the story on both sides. Usually it's not what happened. It's how did the people you hate respond? Right. That's what people tend to care about. Uh, I just think it's I, I always I know I'm a little I don't want to say naive, but I always hope for the best. And I wish people just saw this and didn't care. Like this is this is real tabloid in the mud stuff. And I get that we all hate Obama. Obama was a terrible president, but. To be going after him because he might have had sex with a guy once. It's like, uh, you know what? Twice. Twice. In, oh, twice. Fair, I'm sorry. Fairness, yeah. <laughs> he already had some, obviously had some Gatorade with him that night. I just, I don't know. I uh, I think it's just beneath us, honestly, given what's going on right now, given the battle we face politically, culturally in the country. Uh, I think who Obama banged one night, I just do not care. I find it beneath us all. Yeah. No, for sure, man. And you and I should be super famous commentators, and Tim Pool should be broke. But unfortunately, that's not the world we live in right now. Maybe we just need to be talking about Obama's sex life every day. That's the, <laughs> that's the key. I know, man. I know. I mean, it's just like I know guys like you and I can make a lot more money if we wanted to. If we just gave up and just threw up our hands and just talked about gay Obama all the time and just stupid stuff like that and tweeted about Civil War, <laughs> like, I get it. I get the money's there, but I'm just not willing to debase myself, you know? Like, look, like my... It, you're totally right. This doesn't matter at all. And, like, my reaction... I told, I told my wife, and just to take it back to third grade, like, my reaction was, look, the government's gay. <laughs> not homosexual. Just gay how we used to use, use the word when we were 12 years old, you know? So it's just like, yeah, it's gay. It's all gay. The government's gay. I don't know if Obama's actually gay, but, you know, whatever. It's just funny, man. Like, I just... I don't know. Like, if... Is there any utility, and this is what I thought, this is my reaction when I saw Tucker's doing this interview. And it's like, I I thought it was funny to see right-wingers do to Democrats what Democrats do to right-wingers all the time. But is that, like, is there any utility in that? Like, I don't think it's going to make the left back down. Like, Media Matters isn't going to stop. Like, the corporate press isn't going to stop. I think it's just like, is there any utility to fighting fire with fire with the tabloid shit or not? Probably not. Yeah, I think that's actually a really important question. It really just depends. Um, I've spoken about this a few times. It depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to financially compete, then fighting fire with fire is the ultimate way of doing it because you don't actually care about moving the needle or changing culture or any of that stuff they claim to be doing. It's kind of like the um, similar to that video of that young woman who put out a TikTok about her lazy Saturday and a lot of conservatives went nuts over it. Of, oh, she's pathetic. She's a loser. She's depressing, blah, blah, blah. So none of that helps you actually change the culture in the direction of more people voting for our side. But if if making money is the goal, all you need is a 
a medium to large size audience who like you and will share your stuff. And then that's all you need to do. Like no one's going to be have their mind changed by the fact that Obama maybe had sex with a crack addict. Like he's not even in an office anymore. No, no Democrat is going to think, oh, my God, my entire world is falling down around me. I have to change and vote for Trump now. But that's not the goal for most of these people. The goal is to make money. And if the goal is to make money, then this is what gets the clicks. Clicks are what gets you money. It's really very simple. Uh, that's always why I come down to if you're if you actually care about this movement, which I believe most conservatives who are actually consume this content do try and pick people and follow people who aren't necessarily motivated solely by money, but actually by making a difference and reaching people on the other side rather than just reaching people who are already in your bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And with Tucker Carlson, I, I totally agree with that. And and with Tucker Carlson, I was after the Trump interview came out uh, a couple weeks ago. It just it really showed that he's not he, he had a real opportunity. He had a real opportunity because he's a talented guy. He's a very, oh, very talented, talented broadcaster. He's, he's one of the most talent, talented guys out there. A hundred percent. And he's very intelligent. And he is like he isn't he's not like an empty suit. Like he does have some principles. He does believe in certain things. You know, he's not just like a, a total, you know, wherever the wind blows kind of hack, you know, cable news hack. But it's like, man, you, you're going to interview Trump. And not ask him a single serious question. It's like, man, it, he had such an opportunity to actually impact the Republican Party and the right, and and hold Republicans' feet to the fire the same way he does with Democrats, and to help shape the the right moving forward, and then try to weed out bad candidates, weed out bad ideas. And he's just not gonna, you know. He just chose to just stay in the Trump lane, suck Trump's dick for an hour. And let him off the hook for COVID and everything else. And it's just like, man, Tucker, he, he's so smart and he's so talented. He had an opportunity to actually make a difference and he chose not to. And it sucks because he doesn't need the money. Yeah. He doesn't need the money. He had a, you know, whatever, nine figures. He's made like nine figures, man. Like the dude's filthy rich. And I don't know, man. What a missed opportunity with a talent like that, man. He could really make a difference and he's choosing not to. Well, also a missed opportunity even if you're a Trump fan. Because holding someone's feet to the fire doesn't necessarily mean you come out worse. I think there's a lot of people, maybe even people like you and I, but people who are a little less critical of Trump, who if they saw him actually discuss these issues, would actually maybe come around to him more. Like it could help him grow his support. People aren't necessarily going to watch him answer difficult questions and think, you know what, screw Trump. They might think, oh, he actually has approached these issues. He's addressed them. Now I feel more comfortable. And so it's not, you don't have to massage someone's feet during an interview to help it go well sometimes tough interviews are actually better for the candidate a hundred percent tucker could have helped trump earn my vote trump has not earned my vote like i've decided that the only way i can vote for trump a third time is if he apologizes for 2020 if he comes out and says i was wrong to push these mandates and lockdowns i should have fired fauci on day one it was my mistake there's blood on my hands in terms of the, the deaths of despair due to Fauci and Burks and the lockdowns, you know, the, all the, the overdoses and the suicides and, and the, the starvations globally due to the, the global economic shutdown. Um, he'd have to apologize for that. He would have to say he's wrong and he made a mistake and he would never let it happen again. Um, and he hasn't. I mean, anytime anybody's asked him about COVID, he says, no, I didn't do anything wrong. So, I mean, if Tucker, he had the opportunity to actually force Trump to look in the mirror and apologize, and he didn't. Like, I can't vote for the guy. Like, I know how bad Biden is. 
Also, I live in Ohio. Trump's going to win Ohio and lose the general election with or without me. <laughs> you know what I mean? My vote doesn't really matter. So it's like, and I just can't. It, a man who's caused that much death and destruction by his own cowardice is not going to earn my vote without apologizing for what he did. And unless guys like Tucker are willing to hold Trump's feet to the fire, he's never going to. Because he's getting away with it. I mean, he's getting away with all of it with all these softball interviews, man. And I, mean, I, I, I doubt that I'm alone. Like, I hope if Trump's the nominee, I hope he beats Biden. I just can't personally debase myself and vote for that man unless he comes clean for what he did in 2020. Well, I think a problem in our society generally is that something has infected both sides, which is really the idea of the cult celebrity politician. Like politicians and celebrities are one and the same now. And I think they come with the same expectations. So people don't look at Trump and think he had a job to do. He did this part of his job well, this part of his job badly. It's Trump is my guy. Trump's awesome. I'm going to support him no matter what. But that's a really dangerous route to to tread with someone who is there just to serve you. And it's kind of the same thing as I'm seeing with this ADL stuff with Elon Musk of Elon Musk is supposed to be a free speech guy, right? That's what he ran on. If he yeah. was a politician, he would run on the free speech absolutism. Yes. But then in, in the background, he invited the ADL, which is a left wing organization that is anti free speech to his company to to basically discuss free speech issues, censorship, blah, blah, blah. People got mad about that. So he re redirected the anger at the ADL. Why aren't people angry at Elon Musk? It's exactly the exactly. same thing. It's the cult exactly. of celebrity. He can do no wrong. Let's blame the Jews. <laughs> yeah. It always comes back to the Jews for some reason. I'm not quite always. sure why. But yeah, it's like, who, who invited the ADL in the first place? Yeah. I mean, who exactly. hired what's-her-name to be the CEO of Twitter in the first place? It's like, guys, I, I don't understand why. I mean, it's like, like at least Trump was president and is a registered Republican and stuff and, like, cut taxes a little bit. It's like, Elon Musk isn't even one of our guys. You know what I mean? He's like a climate change enthusiast who's, you know, obsessed with electric cars and, and takes billions of dollars of government subsidies every year for his multiple companies and all that. It's like, he's not even, like, one of us. And still, people on the right are just refuse to criticize him for anything. It's so strange. Well, because a lot of them want to make money from him. Like, his big, biggest defenders happen to be making hundreds, if not millions of dollars on uh, on Twitter right now. So that's always the way. If you scratch beneath the surface, most people have financial uh, goals in mind, which is the unfortunate state of our political system. Man, can we talk about that, too? Because the whole revenue sharing thing has ruined Twitter. I mean, 100%. it's like, it's so much worse. And, like, look, Elon taking over... I guess you have to say it is a net positive because of all the people that were unbanned. You know, people like conservatives aren't just getting kicked off Twitter for no reason every day, at least not in the kinds of numbers that we were seeing before. I mean, for God's sakes, I mean, they banned Donald Trump when he was the sitting president of the United States. You can't do that. So, I mean, like, I guess at the end of the day, it's a net positive. But, man, the revenue sharing thing has made Twitter insufferable. It's just these douchebags with big accounts just tweeting the most boring, lame, predictable clickbait possible. And they're bragging about it. Like, you see yeah. a guy like Tim Pool, he's like, yep, I'm trying to get ratioed with every tweet because it makes me money. Like, he tweeted that. Like, he's bra he's not confessing, he's bragging, right? He's bragging about how he's using the platform. So it's just like, man, that's not... These people are adding absolutely nothing to the discourse. They're not providing any value to anybody. They're just trying to piss people off on Twitter because, I mean, a lot of these guys are making, like, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. a month from it. I mean, the, the money's great, and I get it, man. I could use a little myself, but, like, 
man, what are you doing? Like, do you think you're making the country better? Do you think you're adding something valuable to society? Like, no, you're the problem. You are part of the problem. Well, it's, it's a borderline pyramid scheme, too, because there's a handful of people making a lot of money. And then everyone else who is actually providing a lot of this engagement is getting absolutely nothing. So it's rewarding the bad behavior, not even bad behavior, but just the, the kind of poor motivation of I'm not there to actually spread a conversation. I'm there to intentionally get clicks Like you get a lot of these random like this Pearl Davis character who just says dumb stuff just to get people riled up because then you get the clicks, then you get the responses. But then you also have small to medium sized accounts like my account isn't massive. I before Elon Musk bought Twitter, I had about 35,000 followers. So it's not massive, but it's definitely not small. Um, I had good engagement. I was growing every month. I had to sign up for Twitter Blue because that's what everyone had to do. And I've been slowly declining ever since. All my engagement has absolutely tanked. Um, I'm on the platform just as much as before. So it's not like it's behavior driven. A lot of people I speak to have had exactly the same thing happen. So it's been great for the few people who are basically helping Twitter X, whatever you want to call it, helping it make money. But the core of the people who actually use the platform are seeing no benefit from it. And yeah. so it's it's very frustrating because it's like, well, what am I paying for? I'm paying for this service and I have no engagement. Um, I'm losing followers. And yet I'm still having to see all the bullshit that he promised he was going to take away for paying. You pay for Twitter Blue, we're going to take away the bots. All I see is a bunch of so-called verified bots. It's, it's nonsense. Like People have been scammed, honestly. And it's really frustrating, again, that Elon Musk can do no wrong while he's tweeting back and forth with friends of Nick Fuentes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the porn bots are back in force, too. I mean, oh, it seems yeah, like you that. Search everything you see porn. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. I mean, like, and it was getting better for a while after Elon took over. And then it's just in the last couple months, it's just completely reversed. I mean, it's it, the, the bots are probably, especially the porn bots, are worse now than they ever were, I think. Turns out you can connect a credit card to a bot account. It's not that hard. Yeah. He doesn't care about bots. He just cares about making money off bots. Yeah. And like, I understand the need to make drastic changes. I mean, Twitter has never made money. I mean, Elon took the company over and he's like, holy crap, we are under what we're upside down right now. We got to do something. I get that. But this this ain't it. <laughs> I mean, like, I understand that, like, you're heading towards bankruptcy court if you don't turn things around in the next year or two. But it's just like, man, this is not this is not the way to do it. I mean, this is absolutely not the way to do it. He's driving people from the platform. I mean, my engagement, I, I haven't paid for Twitter Blue. Maybe I'll have to just so I can, like, promote the podcast better. But it's like, dude, my engagement is down, like, on both my accounts, podcast account and my per my personal doesn't have very many followers. But, like, but my engagement's probably down 400% mm -hmm. since Elon took it, 500%. I mean, like, literally, it's down to nothing. It's completely, nobody is seeing my tweets. I mean, people message the, the podcast all the time. Dude, I haven't seen anything. I, I, I know. I know. I mean, it's completely just blacklisted unless you're paying eight bucks a month or whatever it is now. But even if you're not, even if you are paying eight bucks a month, like I did the annual thing and hardly anyone sees my tweets too. And it's, it's crazy. I used to have a couple of tweets that took off every month, you know, nothing crazy, but I would be growing every month. Now I'm, I'm losing followers every single month. It's, it's frustrating when you, you try to try to change, you try and put a, a just, a, just a better message out there and a principal message. And then you just look around and, What's exploding is the white supremacist stuff, like which is fine in a way. Like I obviously think it's despicable, but it's a free speech platform. You're allowed to do that. But when the people who are supposedly on my side are just talking about how it's a civil war, you're all going to die, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, what is happening right now? Uh, yeah.
I mean, it's like if you tw- if you search Tim Pool's Twitter, like he tweets something about Civil War like multiple times a day and has for like six months <laughs> straight. It's just like, guys, like I, I just don't understand the desire just to make people miserable. It's money it's pretty... does funny things to people, Brady. Yeah, sure does. Another thing that happened this week: um, the leader of the Proud Boys. Speaking of gay, <laughs> for the record, we'll get to it in a second. Right wingers. Listen to me. No more weird boys clubs, okay? Women are great. All right. So, like, what are we? What are we doing? Anyway, uh, the leader of the Proud Boys got 22 years in prison for sedition and conspiracy, despite the fact he wasn't even at January 6th. He wasn't even in D.C. at the time, and didn't really break any laws. So, look, when Democrats talk about their sacred democracy, this is what they mean: their ability to do whatever they want and destroy Republicans whenever they want for whatever reasons they want. Literally lock up Republicans forever for no reason. That is what democracy means to the left. When you hear that word out of a Democrat's mouth, understand that this is what they mean. And now you have the FBI taking a victory lap. The press is ecstatic. It's pretty dark stuff, man. All these Proud Boys guys, I mean, obviously the leader, who's who's black, by the way. He's not even, he's not a white nationalist or anything. Um, he's a black guy. But um, yeah, 22 years, a couple of them got in the 16, 17-year range. I mean, their lives completely destroyed for, for virtually no reason. I mean, these are... It's pretty dark stuff, my friend. Well, for the vast majority of human history, we've had random human sacrifices, whether it be smashing people's head on a rock and on pyramids or, you know, hung, drawn and quartering or burning people at the stake. This is just a sanitized version of that. This is just these are the people who have stood against the powers that be, whether that be a government or just a collection of very powerful people. And we're making an example of them. I mean, I think there's there's multiple layers here. There's obviously the fact that it's deeply hypocritical, uh, deeply inconsistent. The fact that you've got people who committed horrendous crimes during the BLM riots and nothing happened to them. You've got people who've committed murder, rape, those kind of crimes who get far less time. So obviously it's inconsistent, but it's just the, the general power play here. They are basically rubbing their dicks in our faces of we can do this. You can't. Essentially, we hold all the cards. But again, for me, this comes down to someone like Donald Trump, who, if he was someone who had the savvy of DeSantis, one, I don't think January 6th would have happened under anyone else but Trump, because Trump did fuel it. Like, yeah. yes, I, I, don't, I don't blame him for the riot, but he, he was definitely part of this. If you pretend otherwise, I think you're, you're lying. Yeah, you, yeah, you're just you're divorced from reality. But he could have pardoned people, and he didn't. Yeah. Running on pardoning people four years after the fact is not good enough. Like you have to be playing in the trenches or fighting rather every day with these people and uh, innocent people or even guilty people. Twenty two years in jail for something that people only care about the fact that it was in Congress. If this happened in someone's house across the country, these politicians wouldn't give a shit. They are the ones in danger, varying degrees of danger, depending on who you ask. That's <laughs> yeah, why they care. Yeah. AOC down the street in a different yep. building hiding for her life for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, you just have to respect the Democrats, man. I mean, they have Republicans right where they want them. And you got to just tip your cap. You got to tip your cap to these guys because they are ruthless and they get it done. I mean, the FBI orchestrates January 6th. To, to, I mean, Trump fueled it. There was a lot of feds there. Everybody knows it was, it was a fed-fueled, quote-unquote, riot. The FBI orchestrates this. Republicans fall for it and go to prison forever. And the Democrats and the press cheer. It's pretty brilliant. It, it's pretty brilliant, man. And the leader of the right is a 78-year-old moron who will lead his supporters into the teeth of the state once again. And don't think that Republicans won't fall for it again. They will. They're so obsessed with Trump, they're going to do it again. 
whether they, you know, if he goes to jail or he's, you know, they take him off the ballot in certain states or heck, he just loses fair and square. They'll they'll riot again. They'll do something again because they're just in love with this man for some reason. And the other side, man, the other side is playing chess when our side, we're not even playing checkers. We're posting memes mm-hmm. and tweeting about civil war. Okay. Tweeting. We, they, they, they're playing chess. We're tweeting. Okay. Like one side is serious and it takes serious human beings, it takes serious men to take to take them down. Where are the serious men on the right? Have you seen them? I'd like to put out an APB on seriousness on the political right, okay, because I haven't seen it in a long time. It's all about the memes and all about the lols, and you make enough people laugh, you'll you'll win, I guess. I also think something here is people are missing is that the left have also found a way of attacking really one of the right's most uh, powerful platforms, which is law and order. Yeah. Is every single time the country gets into a bad state, conservatives tend to do well when they push the idea that you are unsafe. I promise to make you safe. Now, yeah. obviously, a lot of the times they fail, but that's a very, very powerful thing. When the economy is bad, when crime is up, anti-crime people tend to do well. But now they have created a PR narrative where this is the side of rioting in the Capitol building. And it's genius because, oh, yeah, we don't have to talk about BLM because they have control of the media. But when you have someone who is Donald Trump, whether you like it or not, is the face of January 6th. And all you can do is show videos of them smashing their way into the Capitol building. Oh, that's the side of law and order. Give me a break. That's yeah. their entire goal here. And if we're not careful and if we don't talk about January 6th and actually regain the narrative of it as much as we can, that is going to be the narrative. Conservatives are going to become the face of crime because that's the only crime that people care about um, when they're being pushed by the media. And before you know it, Democrats will be the face of law and order. It's it's pretty 1984 brilliant. stuff. It's pretty brilliant, though. It's a brilliant strategy. They're so much better at this than we are. I mean, it's it's not even close. I mean, what a better way to take, and you're absolutely right, that, you know, when there's, uh, you know, riots and, and, and all this stuff, that that's a very powerful bullet in the Republicans' gun to say, we're the power, you know, we're the party of law and order, we're going to stop the right, we're going to, you know, make you safe, this and that. What a better way to disarm the right than to take over the justice system. Mm-hmm. And they have. I mean, they let criminals go free. You're not you're not allowed to arrest a black guy in America anymore. <laughs> you know, like if you if you look a certain way, you can get away with you know committing just about any crime if you're in a if you're in a blue state or a blue city. And now they've weaponized the entire justice department against Republicans. I mean, like, what are you going to do? Be a Republican and running on standing up for law enforcement? No, law enforcement has their boots on your supporters' necks. They don't want to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they've totally just taken that from the Republican platform. Like, Republicans can no longer run on law and order anymore. Because it's just, like, Trump appointed Christopher Ray. Read the statement Christopher Ray made after sending all these poor guys to prison for the rest of their lives. He's, he's dancing on their graves. He's laughing about it. He's laughing at Republicans. Trump appointed that guy. Yep. Trump supported that guy. Trump refused to fire that guy. He didn't drain the swamp. He didn't defund the the deep state or the FBI or anything. No. I mean, they whatever Republicans do, they the left is so good at just weaponizing it against them. I mean, they're so far ahead of us, it's not even funny. Well, I also think there's there's something, a point you bring up all the time, which is the idea that, well, it's against the idea that Trump pushes the notion that he is the guy protecting you from the deep state. Like, he's the one standing between you and chaos. It's as you always say, which I think is, is really, really smart, it's the opposite. People have been 
under the boot of the justice system for years, mostly, uh, mostly politically motivated, and they've got so emboldened, they can now go after the sitting or former president of the United States. It's completely backwards. He's not standing in the way. He's let it get to a point where even he can be attacked by a billionaire who has all the resources in the world. You think Joe Schmo in the, you know, the middle of the country with no money? How's he going to fare? The yeah. prison, our jails are full of people who can't afford bail. Like, it's not a racial thing. It is a power thing. It is an influence thing. It is a money thing. If you don't have enough power to fight the federal government or, in some cases, the state government, you're screwed. 100%. And they, no one cares about you. 100%. That, that's absolutely right. I mean, look what the FBI has been doing for decades and decades. Look what they did to Martin Luther King. Yeah. I mean, they tried to get him to kill himself. They, they blackmailed him and, and with all the sex stuff and everything. It's like, that's who these people are. The FBI is a domestic terrorist organization designed to destroy the American people. I mean, it's like, that's what they are. It is an evil, wicked organization, rotten to the core, that needs to be destroyed. Republicans aren't, they don't have what it takes to, to actually make a difference on that level. It's certainly not Trump. But, yeah, I mean, like, Trump's whole, you know, they're not after me, they're after you, it's not just that it's backwards, it's that it, it's insulting at this point. The man mm -hmm. has, he claims to have $10 billion, he probably has something like $2.5 billion. And he hasn't spent a cent of his own money on his legal bills. He has spent over $100 million of other people's money, money on legal bills, and not even the super PAC money. That's, that's the thing. The thing that kills me is that it's not, he's not even using super PAC money to pay his lawyers. He's using his actual PAC, the, the MAGA PAC, which is small-dollar donations. It's literally just middle-class, small-dollar donations. He's using that to pay his legal bills. Some jackass making thirty grand a year is paying Trump's lawyers, and the billionaire is not. I mean, like Trump does not care about you. Trump hates you. Trump wants your money, and he wants you to do whatever he says. It's like, it's so pathetic, man. And it's it's insulting to his supporters. Yep. Especially during these economic times where people are really struggling. Like, it's one thing if people have spare money and they want to give money. What upsets me is when you see people, some of the big names on Twitter, saying, oh, his supporters want to give for this. Oh, come on. Like, come well, on. No, they don't. They, they think they're helping. They think they are pushing towards a movement that is actually going to change things for the better, because they've often been lied to or manipulated or some combination of the two. But someone who has you know 10 spare dollars a week giving it to Trump and he's spending it on lawyers, he could just pay out of his own pocket. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's insulting. It's evil, actually. Um, I think that's actually evil behavior. I'd classify it as such. One more thing before I let you go. Um, speaking of evil, <laughs> um, <laughs> Everyone knows how I feel about corporate media. I mean, I started this podcast almost seven years ago to fight corporate media. I mean, it's like they are my target to destroy. Like, everybody, everybody knows. And whatever level of disdain you have for the corporate press, believe me, my brothers and sisters, it is not enough. I mean, these whatever contempt you have is not enough. This headline from The Hill yesterday morning, man, quote, Fears of peace talks with Putin rise amid U.S. squabbling. Oh, no. Eat Anything that. but peace. You're evil. We can't let, let peace break out. We need more dead bodies, you see. We corporate journalists need dead bodies. We need dead babies. Dead babies drive ratings, Ian. Fears of peace. <laughs> Who's, who has ever feared peace? My goodness gracious, what do you people think is going to happen? Like, do you think Putin's going to stop? you think Russia's going to stop? Look at how Russia has waged war over the last 500 years. They do not care. They don't care about their own economy. They don't care how many of their boys they send to die. I mean, they lost, like, how many millions in World War II? 
It's like they've lost more people than the Americans, the British, the French, and the Canadians all combined. I mean, it's like they do not care. They will just send guys into a meat grinder until they conquer Ukraine. They'll like, send people into a war zone with no guns. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. It, these these journalists fueling the war in Ukraine and fueling the war machine here domestically. I mean, I, I don't know how you're that divorced from reality and that wicked to the core that you would phrase a headline in that in that way. Yeah. I mean, fears of peace talks with Putin, right? I'm like, my goodness. I just, it says everything you need to know about how the media views conflict because to write something that despicable, it's not like peace talks are on the table and they don't like the terms. Like, it's fine to think, have criticisms of the terms of the peace agreement, but peace agreement should always be the goal when the alternative is death of innocent people. It's, you don't, it doesn't mean you have to bend over someone like Putin, but my goodness, like the idea that the only option here is the complete capitulation of Russia, which is, as you said, never going to happen because they have never done that. <laughs> so never, it's just absurd. Never. Yeah. I, it, it's funny, man. The, it's, it all comes from the left, you know, the, the quote-unquote mainstream media, the corporate press. Because even like right-wingers, conservatives who are typically very hawkish, the people that, you know, libertarians would call neocons, even though that's it, it, it's typically inaccurate. Like, neoconservative, that, that's an actual movement that happened in the 1960s and 70s. And, like, Bill Crystal's a neocon, right? But not, like, Ben Shapiro is not. He didn't come from that tradition. But, like, even, like, the hawkish conservatives, like my, my buddy Jim Garrity from National Review, who just spent a week and a half in Ukraine, you know, interviewing people on the front lines and stuff. You know, people that are, like, pro-war Republicans are still, like, like Ukraine's not going to win this. Like they need to, they need to enter into peace talks. You know, like mm -hmm. th there's only one way out of this, and that is giving up any hope of of regaining Crimea. That's not going to happen. You're going to have to give up some of the Donbass region. They, every, even the hawkish Republicans are like, okay, guys, like let's be realistic here. But the Democrats and the press, I think they're just in too deep on the Russia stuff. They've been, they've obsessed, they ginned up, they try to use Russia to beat Repu to beat Trump in 2016. And they just, they're in too deep. Like, they've made Russia the boogeyman, you know, the, the great Satan, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like how Iran talks about the United States. It's like, they, they've just made Russia the great Satan, and they can't, they can't stop now. Like, they can't accept peace. They just have, they, they just need a war with Russia. They need a hot war with Russia, because they just can't, they, they've just, they propped up this Russian narrative for so long, they just can't retreat at this point i think that's basically where they're at yeah but they also then don't have the guts to fight their own fights uh, they'd, they'd much rather send a bunch of ukrainian conscripts in to die for their pr war than they would actually like to put their money where their mouth is and obviously i'm not in favor of that i don't think a single uh, american service member should be involved in the conflict in ukraine and it's a con uh, conflict that was completely avoidable that happened because biden was in office and wouldn't do a thing but a lot of these people, they, they want the, it's all virtue signaling. They love the Ukraine flags on their bios. They love the Ukraine flags on their front lawns because, you know, they, they'll happily support a bunch of white people across the world who are being attacked, but they don't give a shit about anyone in the Middle East, Africa, Asia, who are under far worse conditions. It's just all about, look how wonderful I am. And I think a big part of it, as you said, is we're standing up against Russia, except we're not standing up. What we're doing is we're cashing in on the various military stocks we have because we're funding them endlessly with a never-ending supply of money with no expectation for any end here. Like the fact that we are providing a single penny 
without expectation tells you everything you need to know about our attitude towards this conflict. Yeah. It's yeah. like having a drug addict friend and just endlessly, hey, man, I need to get my life together. Can you just give me, you know, 20 bucks to help me over? Every day, just giving him 20 bucks, but never asking like, hey, is anything changing? What's your plan? And, and we're shocked that we just keep giving them money. Why would we stop? They're not going to stop. Again, people are blaming Zelensky for doing what's obviously best for his country. We should be blaming our own leaders who are giving him the money. It's not Zelensky's fault. Who's also Jewish, by the way. Let's not ignore the the low-level anti-Semitism that obviously surrounds Zelensky. If he wasn't Jewish, people wouldn't be quite as anti-Zelensky. It is not his fault for trying to get as much money for his people as possible. It's our leader's fault for handing him the fucking keys. It's crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I've never understood that line of thinking, too. Like, you get from libertarians, you get a lot of libertarians who hate Israel because U.S. sends them a lot of money. I'm like, I, I just don't get that. It's like you're not being taxed by Benjamin Netanyahu. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like it's like, but it's not like what do you do? Like if you're mad about foreign aid, get mad at Washington D.C. Like I just mm-hmm. I don't I've never understood that. Like yeah, obviously Zelensky is doing what's best for his military and his. Obviously he couldn't fight this war without our money and our weapons. Yeah, I just I never understood the the willingness of Americans to let their own government off the hook for what they're doing to them and blame foreigners. It's just like, I, I it, it's just so backwards, man. Well, it's the tell as old as time, isn't it? It's always easier to blame them rather than us or the outside rather than the inside. Uh, it's, it's always easy to blame someone else for your problems. Uh, because again, we have a completely backwards way of looking at our own leadership that they really, we shouldn't be calling them leaders. They are there to do a job that we elect them to do. Like they have a platform. We elect them to, perform based on that platform that's it like they're glorified dmv workers and instead we treat them like some kind of moral guide yeah and then we allow them to distract us by blaming everyone else for every other problem it's like the way joe biden blamed russia for all of the economic problems in the in the u.s or we blame covid for the policies we chose to enact it's not covid every time someone says oh it's because of covid it's not because of covid it's because of how people responded to covid COVID didn't come in and enforce any rules. Yeah, yeah. I. The thing is, too, Republicans, it's not like Republicans are— I mean, a, a lot of Republicans, at least most of like the Republican candidates, you know, Trump, Sanders, you know, all these guys are against the, the funding for the war in Ukraine. But it's not like they're making some principled stand against sending money overseas and, and dis, you know, dismantling the military-industrial complex or anything like that. They're talking about, you know, all the Republicans want to have a— like a trade war with China that would make everything 10 times as expensive and they want to bomb Mexico. <laughs> it's like, guys, you're like, you're, you're like, all right, let's stop sending money to Ukraine. I'm like, yes, I agree. Let's bomb the drug cartels. <laughs> like, no, we're not turning our Southern border into a war zone. You morons. Like what is wrong with you? And we're not going to stop trading with China and have everything you buy become exponentially more expensive. Like what is, how about just stop? How about stop? How about be a normal country? Just try it. Try it for five years. If you like it, maybe we'll just stay normal, right? How about trial run. Don't randomly bomb countries for no reason. Don't send weapons and money into war zones across the planet. Don't start trade wars. How about just don't? How about we just stop and we just act like normal countries for five years and just see how we like it? Well, that's that's funny you brought up the China thing because I gave a speech— uh, last semester or the semester before about basically how we deal with China in long term. People always love to, to, to 
to talk about the good side, never the bad side. They never want to actually pay the bill. Everyone talks about we want things made in America. Yes, made in America would be great. Bad for the consumer because everything is more expensive. But no one wants to pay the cost for that. No one wants to have the reduced quality or the hugely extortionate prices that come with that or the corruption or any of those issues. They want their cheap iPhone, but they also want it made in America. Those things <laughs> cannot cannot exist in the same universe. I think if an and, iPhone was made in America, it would cost $13,000. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't get it because the fact is not. that a lot of these places are far more efficient. There's a reason semiconductors are made mostly in Taiwan. It's because it, when um, Silicon Valley first started, the quality that they were providing in places like Japan and Taiwan exceeded the American quality by so much that they didn't have a choice but buy them from there. Yeah. Like people forget those little details that quality matters, especially in the world of tech, but other things too. How we deal with this is maybe not going into debt to the point that we are bending over for somewhere like China. If we weren't yeah. in debt, none of this would be a problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and just a side note too, like when people talk about China, um, it's like we don't, <laughs> we kind of gloss over, yeah, like China is a nefarious actor. I mean, look at what they're doing in the Middle East and Africa right now. I get it. They don't have our, our interest and China's interests do not align at all. I totally understand that. But remember, 80 million people were starved to death in China in the 20th century. They're not being starved to death anymore. You know why? Because we're trading with them. Because we're buying their cheap shit. And now those people have food. It's like, I get it. Like, I get not wanting to support an evil communist regime. I'm an anarchist. Okay, nobody opposes the Chinese Communist Party more than me. Okay? But it's like, we have, through trade, we have lifted billions of people out of debilitating poverty. I mean, like, we've saved so many Chinese lives by trading with their government. It's like, we can't ignore that. You can't gloss over that. Like, what are you actually advocating for? Like, mass starvation in the most populated country on the planet? Do you want that? I don't want that. <laughs> like, I, I don't want, you know, China to, the, the yen to become the global currency. I don't want them to take over economically or anything like that. But it's like, come on, I, I don't want to pay 13 grand for an iPhone, and I don't want Chinese people to starve to death, okay? So let's just not, let's just not, let's not do that. I don't, I, why do we need a boogeyman? It's funny, like with Ukraine, it's, with Russia still being the Democrats' boogeyman, it's like, guys like you and I looking at the, the last year and a half at this war, if this war has proven anything, it's that Russia isn't a threat to anybody. They can't even conquer Ukraine. You think they're going to roll into Germany? Germany would whip their ass. Like, ger the German military's technology is way more powerful than the Russians, aside from nukes, obviously. But it's like, man, like, if they, if they can't, they've conquered to like something like 23% of Ukrainian territory in the last year and a half. Really? You sitting in Michigan, you're worried about the Russians? It's like, my goodness. People in Kiev aren't worried about the Russians anymore. You know, it's like, I, I just don't understand the need for the press and the politicians to constantly have a bad guy to fight. We have plenty of problems. We have $32 trillion in debt. Social Security is going to be insolvent in five years. Medicaid's finished if we don't reform it in the next 10 years. It's like, we have real problems. Crime is on the rise in every major American city. The government is throwing their political opponents in prison forever. It's like, guys, we have issues to deal with here. Stop. We're not bombing Mexico. Knock it off. Like that, that is not, that's not going to help stop illegal immigration, guys, by starting a war zone in El Paso. Like, we, I just don't understand the need to constantly train our guns elsewhere when we have a, just a plethora of issues, pertinent issues that need dealt with right now. Well, I think it speaks to this, this base caveman mentality of people like violence. 
and uh, if you look at our culture, if you look at how a lot of people act, like even people's entertainment, people have a base, almost genetic desire for violence. Throughout human history, we've had a desire for violence. You know, you've had gladiator fights. You've got MMA cage fighting now. Like all of this stuff. Like I look at cage fighting. It's like, how is this legal? It's crazy to me. That doesn't mean violence doesn't have a place when absolutely needed. But I do think that people, it, it elicits this base level reaction of we're going to go fight at the southern border. It's like we should have a very very secure southern border, and people who commit crimes on our border should be eliminated. But flying helicopters doing strafing runs over mexico no <laughs> but that sounds exciting if you especially if you hate mexico for some reason and it's it just sparks this base level desire in people for conflict against the people they think they hate right and as you said it avoids the actual issues at the heart of the problem by just going after the faces of the problem which is a very very different thing and uh it's dangerous i think you can always it's a it's an applause line at this point like whether or not we would actually follow through on that. Um, I also think declaring, essentially declaring war on your, on your neighbor is a bad thing. Just logistically, um, doesn't mean you can't work with Mexican law enforcement to go after the cartel together. I'm more in more than in favor of that. I think that would be wonderful, but firing rockets off into Mexico is probably not the way to do it. Yeah. It'd be real easy for the cartels to like, you know, set off a bomb at a church in El Paso or something. Well, also, how do you not? How do you um, how do you avoid civilian casualties? We're going to have exactly the same thing that Israel has to deal with every time, is that you're going to have the cartel um, embedding in civilian areas as they do already. They're going to be using schools and hospitals and all that kind of thing as their base of operations. You're going to attack a school or a hospital, then it's a PR war. Yep. It's not. It's it's obviously going to happen because that's how these people deal with these pr problems. It's essentially guerrilla warfare in an urban environment. But uh, it sounds good on a campaign trail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Israel is a great example. It's like it, it, you're just advocating for just what has gone wrong across the world over and over for decades. It's just like I just don't understand. And like the tough guy talk in like the Tim Pool Civil War talk. And I say this all the time. Like me and my, my little brother, we always like if we if we meet somebody we don't like, it's just like something Reese and I say a lot is like that man's never been in a fist fight. You know what I mean? It's just like, it, I've, I've never been to war. I'm not a soldier. I've, I've never served my country. I, I've never had to, I'd carry a gun everywhere, but I've never had to draw my weapon, thank God. Um, you know, I, I pray I never have to pull a gun, ever, you know. Um, but it's like, you've probably been in a fist fight, Ian, right? Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. <laughs> like, I've, I've been in a bunch, and I've won most of them. It's the worst. Yeah. Like, like violent, I... I'm capable, I own an arsenal of weapons, and I know how to fight. I'm capable of, of some pretty serious violence if I have to, and I think every man should. Every man should carry a gun and learn how to fight. I think it's important to be able to protect your family and your community. But it's like, these people don't understand what violence is. Like, vi if you get in a fist fight with another man, it's terrifying. It is terrible. I mean, you, just, you, you feel sick. You're just like, all right, let's go. Somebody could die. I mean, you could get knocked out, fall yeah. down, hit your head, and you're done. I mean, it's like, or you could go to prison because you knock somebody out. They hit their head on the bar, and they're, you know, it's like so much can go wrong when you're talking about violence. And if you're talking about dropping bombs and shooting guns, if you're talking about war, scale that up a thousand percent. But it's like these people advocating for violence. It's like, do you know, do you get what you're saying? Like, do you understand? 500,000 innocent civilians died in the terror wars. 500,000. 
500,000. Well, all right, no, no, 500,000 total, including the uh, blockade of Iraq by Bill Clinton in the late 90s. A few hundred thousand died of starvation then, and then maybe 300,000 in the terror wars. Like, dude, that, those are women and children. Those are innocent people. They're not terrorists. It's like, that, that's what happens in war. Okay, like horrible, horrible thing. It's like, at least be honest with what you're advocating for. When Trump said he wants to bomb Mexico, you're advocating for dead Mexican children. There's got to be a better way to handle it. There's got to be a, there was obviously a better way to go kill Osama bin Laden. We could have done that in a way that didn't cause 500,000 innocent deaths. Mm-hmm. Okay, and like, are you are you literally claiming that you've learned nothing over the last 25 years? Like, it is, it's infuriating because these people don't, they, they throw around this advocacy of violence so flippantly and they have no idea what they mean. And the, pe- the the journalists repeating it, the people consuming it on their TVs, it's like not one second do these people realize what you're discussing. Like, what are you talking about? You're talking about piles and piles of dead bodies. If you're going to advocate for that, at least be honest and say, yeah, we should go kill the cartels. Who cares how many Mexican women we kill? Fuck them. Okay, if you're going to say that, at least be honest. Yeah, so there's so many levels here. I think you hit the nail on the head on the idea of, violence being bad and i think you you don't have an impression of what that is until you've actually been involved in any level of violence i think you've also got this is a a uniquely american issue i think post-world war ii of americans have never really had conflict in their face you know by nature of geography uh by nature of scale and resources they've never really witnessed the horrors of war except for the you know the brave men and women who volunteer to go overseas and experience that yeah i mean pearl harbor 9-11 and that's it yeah and both horrific um, instances, but really one-offs in the grand scheme of things if you look at, say, what Europe went through during the entirety of World War II. Yeah. And so you don't have that realization of what war is. And I think that's why you have a lot of people um, who have severe issues with things like PTSD, because when you come from somewhere like America that is so peaceful compared to the vast majority of the world, and then you witness what the world is really like, what violence is really like, I think it affects a lot of people in ways that we can never imagine. And then that's fueled by people who have a complete either misconception of what violence is. Or they think it's like a movie where the good guys always win. You know, the, the good guys can walk through a spray of bullets and everything will be fine. And the bad guys get hit by ricochets. Um, or you've got people who revel in the violence. And that's I, I can't decide which is worse because there are people who revel in violence. They're the people who seek out fistfights. They're the people who enjoy the fight. And they're just as much of a danger, too, because... Fights are horrible when they happen. They're terrifying when they happen. Sometimes they're needed. But the people who seek that out, something bad is going to happen eventually, and bad things are going to happen to the people who are around them. And when you have those people pushing policy on a global scale, it, it just elevates that. You have, as you said, people who are going to be innocent, caught in the crossfire. Most of the time, it's more innocent people than, than not. The reality of war is that it is, it is hell. All the literature you ever read about people who have actually experienced war come back with the same thing that is absolute hell. And the way people talk so flippantly about war, I think, is really quite disgusting. And as you said, they never admit to what they're actually calling for. They're calling for the Hollywood version of war, where the good guys come in on a horse, save everyone, only the bad guys die, and everyone's happy at the end within an hour and a half. The reality of war is years, if not decades, of pure, unimaginable suffering, usually for women and children, and it's never repaired. And most of the time, the good guys suffer, the bad guys survive, nothing changes. That's the unfortunate reality of most wars. If you look at all the wars since World War II, has there actually been a change? No. No. Nothing. No, nothing. Nobody's benefited from any, any of the wars since World War II. And like, people don't understand. Like World War II, Europe never recovered. 
I feel like the, your, your home country, the United Kingdom, has never really economically recovered. I mean, they'll never be what they were pre-World War II economically. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, Europe was leveled. Yeah. They've ne- and they will never be the economic powerhouse that they were pre-World War II. It's impossible. I mean, it was the beating heart of the global economy was Europe. Germany, the UK, France, they were and Russia. There, that that's never going to happen again. It's all over. World War II ended that. Now it's the United States and China, because we're the only two countries that weren't completely wiped out. I mean, it's like people don't. I if if people knew if the politicians and the press if they were honest with what they're with what they actually want, what they're actually advocating for, we never would have fought any of these wars. That's why they need the propaganda machine. That's why they're so dependent on corporate media. And that's why I can't stand these people. I mean, that that is like, because I look at, I mean, people hate journalists, the corporate press, because they're like, oh, they're unfair to Trump. They hate Republicans. They lied about everyone. McCain, Bush, Romney, they're all Hitler. And they, you know, they, they lie. And I mean, I look at these people like I, like I'm face to face with a demon. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous and, and hyperbolic and everything, but it's like, if you look at what these people actually want, on your television talking to you. They're not just the enemy of the American people. They're the enemy of everything good in this world. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like they're advocating. They're like, what would be wor- the worst case scenario for humanity? And they advocate for it. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's pure, unadulterated evil. If you actually define language the way Merriam-Webster's does, okay? Like, what are they actually saying? They're saying, we want piles of dead children. From abortion to war to, to even economic, like economics is life and death too, man. Because we shut down the global economy, people across Africa, Southeast Asia, and the Middle East starve to death. Because if America, if North America and Europe aren't producing food, those people ain't getting food. People in Yemen starve to death by the tens of thousands because Donald Trump wouldn't fire Anthony Fauci. Okay, like that, that's like decisions like that kill tens of thousands of people. Like, the decisions made in Washington, the things that these people are pushing and advocating for, kill people. It's about life and death. So whatever also, disdain you have for the, the media class, I promise you, it's not enough. It's also life and death for the people making those decisions. They just don't think it is. Because a lot of people are insulated enough from the outcome of their decisions most of the time yeah. that they think they don't Im- impact you. It's like the people who are cheering for the January 6th people being thrown in jail for the rest of their lives. They're cheering because they do not believe they're in danger. Of course they're in danger. Like like every system, it's like animal farm. Everyone thinks it's fine if you're one of the pigs until what you're one of the pigs that gets driven off the farm. Yeah. Eventually everything comes for you. It's just everyone thinks they're they're safe for now. No that's why the vast majority of people aren't principled, because they are quite happy with the situation they find themselves in right now. But uh, the justice system when it comes for you, suddenly there's no one to care quite so much. Yeah, and it will. It will. They'll they'll run out of Republicans to arrest <laughs> eventually, you know. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Ian, my brother, um, I know we're way over time, so I'll let you go. Oh, but that's uh, fine. No worries. Where, where can everybody check out your show, which is fantastic? I highly recommend it. Where can everybody read your stuff and keep in touch, all that good stuff? Yeah, you can find my show. It's called Off Limits. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. If you just search for Off Limits, I put up videos every single day. You can find me on all social media, I-G-H-A-W-O-R-T-H. And if you want to support the show, you can sign up for my Substack there as well. Everybody follow Ian. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks.